Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beelins and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. As always, here with my co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink. I usually have a smile on my face, Steve, when we start these. I think it's a little bit wider now because, I mean, you got to get up and I'll give the standing O. You're, you look way too comfortable there, but we got to give a standing O to Coco Goff, Novak Djokovic, and Carlos Alcaraz. I mean, that was that was some performances by all three of them um i actually feel uh, a little i don't i don't know if coco feels bad about it i don't think she she does and i don't think she should i almost feel like maybe her unbelievable week and unbelievable summer was maybe overshadowed because of what happened um late yesterday afternoon and into the evening with uh novak and, and carlos just an incredible sunday for every tennis fan out there it was no okay coco Coco would have been the story. If there had been a straight set win for either Carlos or Novak in the final, there would have been a lot more talk about Coco. But I don't, I don't think she's going to be too concerned with that. She got her second tournament win with, in, in her last three events and comes in to the open flying high. So she's, uh, she, she'll more than forfeit the, the extra attention to have the win. Steve, could you ask for any better prep from Coco? We always talk about these back-to-back events are really hard. You know, you go, you win one in D.C., you may lose early the next one. You know, we saw it this week with Pagula and Sinner. They went out early. I mean, Coco wins D.C., she quarters Montreal, loses a, a close three-setter to Jess, and she wins Cincy. Like, you, there's no better prep than she could have flying high with confidence going into New York. Well, that's it. Yeah, to me, it's the confidence above all else. And sportsing for her, that was a quarterfinal against Pagula that she lost, so that she spared herself two more matches there. That that would probably have really made, made it that much tougher to come through in Cincinnati the way she did. It also just gave her the extra incentive because she was she wanted to rebuild that winning feeling again, having done it at DC. So, but to, to, it it just was to her the semifinal was the final. We, we yeah. all. We, and, and we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that later. Yeah. And I just, I mean, before we, we, we talk about Carlos and Novak, we just, again, um, we're, we don't want to undervalue the, the, the preparation that, that Coco has had, how well she has played. And we're going to get into it, but let's start with the magnificent final yesterday. There were so many swings, both sides. Um, first, the, let me talk about the conditions. Cause I'm in Chicago. People know you're in New York. Yesterday, at least in Chicago, Steve, it was brutally humid. It was hot, okay? But we can deal with the heat, right? It was probably the most humid day of the summer in Chicago yesterday. And I looked at the conditions in Cincinnati, and it was pretty much identical. I mean, you stepped outside, and it was a frying pan. We call this humidity like the, the energy zappers. And and to set set it up for someone like Novak, if you remember, right, not only is Novak this Novak's first tournament since Wimbledon, but the few matches he had played up to the final were all at night, Steve. This was his first time during the day. Yeah, it was. And not to mention that he just played one set against uh, Davidovich Fokina, who then got hurt. And then he destroyed Monfils. You know, he, he was rolling through that. Uh, he had a 21-minute first set against Fritz and beat him 11 four. And then finally, a two-hour tough two-setter against Sasha Zarev. But that was his longest match. And as you say, all at night. It was brutally hot. And Carlos had been playing day matches. That's what ends up happening in these tournaments. It, once you get the day slot, you keep playing in the day. But they're not gonna, they don't end up 
I've seen it through the years and it always works out that way that once they've started you at night, you're probably going to stay at night. I will say this, David. I mean, look, these were two gladiators out there. This was a just phenomenal performances on both sides of the net. And Novak overcame what was more than he did. He thought it was some kind of a heat stroke almost, you know, it was, it, it was serious. And, you know, he took off, he went into the locker room after the first set, changed his clothes and came back and you could see in his face, looked very red in his face. He did not look well. And when he went down 4-2 in the second, I just thought this is one of these times he's not going to be able to come back. But fortunately, as you pointed out, as we discussed on the phone, you know, the sun was receding and now the court was getting shaded. Yeah, that I want to I want to get to that. I want to get to that point. But before we even we before we get to that key moment of the match with 4-2 in the second set, you know, the first it started OK for Novak. He got up a break early. Oh, it started more set. OK. It started 4-2. He played one of his best return games of the match to break at love for 4-2. Hit three really deep returns, won the game of the forehand inside in winner. It was a really a perfect return game. He'd set himself up. And then the, the next game is when the trouble started. He had 15 love, and then Carlos hit a great backhand winner down the line on the run, and Novak made some errors. The next thing you know, they're back on serve. You could see already he was starting to look uncomfortable because he was on the sunnier side at that point. And it got worse. Although he won one more game in that set, managed one more hole, he lost at 7-5, and he was just making routine errors. And you could see, and Carlos could see it too. So Carlos sort of tamped things down, stopped going for so much. Didn't feel like he had to hit the winners. He just tried to keep the ball deep into play. He was restrained. He was very smart at exploiting Novak's uh, physical vulnerability. But I, uh, fortunately, but you know, just in the nick of time, in that middle of the second set for Novak, Carlos played a loose game on his serve. He was up four two, and then yeah, Novak- and I, I I put out at that moment, Steve, at four two, I put out a tweet because yeah, I, I mean I'm going to be honest. There are a lot of matches I see where I kind of maybe want one player a little bit over another, just a preference here or there. When these two guys play, I don't care. I just want more tennis, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's so good to watch. Right. So I'm thinking to myself, and you yeah. mentioned earlier in the in the conversation the shadows. At 4-2 in the second set, when it was uh, – and Novak did not look good, right? He was down 7-5-4-2. One side of the court was completely shaded. Right, and The right. other one was still at Sunny. And I, and I put on Twitter, I said, Novak just needs to hold on for another 15 minutes because that's all it was going to take to get that other side in a shadow. Now, again, I'm not saying Novak – just because that happens, Novak would win, Carlos would lose. But as you know and people know – 91 degrees with sunshine and 91 degrees without sunshine is very different. Still, it's hot. Don't get me wrong. But when it's 91 degrees without without sunshine, that is a saver for a guy like Novak Djokovic in that. Yeah, no, yes, but look, the heat's contained. The heat is, is reflecting off the hard court. So as they were saying on the air, it may have been officially 91, 92. It felt like 98 or 99. Frankly, I don't, I don't think that's a good thing. I really don't. I think that these tournaments, which are making a lot of money, would be well served the Cincinnati's, the Canada's, all of them to get roofs and in extreme conditions. We talk about it in Australia. So on a day like this, you, you just would put the roof up and say, guys, we're going to, you know, we're going to give you the best conditions possible. It's dangerously hot. And it was clear it was dangerously hot because you don't see Djokovic in that state unless he's been put in into a frying pan. And it was more than just having been his first tournament back. It was just a brutally hot day. And it was murder. It was very tough on Carlos, too. Don't get me wrong. And they're icing. 
ice around the shoulders and neck at the changeovers. And you could see how tough it was on both players. But that's what made Djokovic co- come back all the more remarkable is that he, J- Carlos plays a loose game. He started trying to go for too much, made it. The three backhand errors, one forehand unforced error, and loses his serve in the 4-3 game. And suddenly it's 4-all, and Djokovic, a light went off. You could see him raise his racket like, okay, I'm back in this. And he played a couple of really good service games after that. Carlos managed to hold on to his two, and in we go to the tiebreak. That second set tiebreak was terrific, David, because Novak had a 3-1 lead, and Carlos drew him in with a drop shot, and Novak did a pretty good job of, of – steering his forehand down the line and Carlos hits the pass hard. Novak makes a nice back end volley, but Carlos calmly passes him down the line. Big point because it got him back into the breaker and it got him back on serve. And then the next thing you know, Novak is serving at five, six match point down. And he came up with a clutch serve to the back end of Carlos right in the corner that set up a, a really nice deep forehand. No way for Carlos to get it back. And uh, although Djokovic didn't seal it on his first set point, he got it on the second in a long rally, I believe 20 strokes. And and finally, he drew an error from Carlos uh, after they were kind of, uh, they were they were strategically going after each other with slice backhands, mixing everything up. And Novak finally played a short angle backhand that drew the error from Carlos. Just a great I noticed, uh, I noticed, Steve, in the tiebreak, we talk so much about how good Novak returns, right? And how much he gets locked in on tiebreakers, too. To me, in that tiebreaker, he ripped three unbelievable service routine service returns to Carlos. How only Carlos could handle these, and he won two of those three points. The one he lost was at seven seven. Um, Novak ripped another return. I think Carlos missed the four. Carlos missed the forehand cross yeah, court. Yeah. But there were three points, Steve, that Novak ripped those returns. Hard down the middle, and he only did, Carlos, Carlos could handle. He Carlos fended those off beautifully, and a couple of times, and Novak, you know, would come back with another deep shot. But Carl, Carlos is underrated as a defender because of his movement, and he's just so determined, and he knows how to play defense. And we we don't talk about that enough, but he can do it, and he showed it there. But it was great from Djokovic because the first set point he made a forehand error, but he got right back on the return that you mentioned, and then won the long rally, and he wins at nine points to seven, and. And, and now now that's that's really when it was like a brand new match because the second set was very well played, particularly toward the end and then the tiebreak. But the third set was simply out of this world. I mean, Steve, the 3-3 game in the third set, it was ridiculous, right? And the fifth break point, yeah. Novak converts. Is that, it was it was yeah. and he'd already, There were so many long games in that. In yeah, that. and he'd already had a two or three earlier in the two-all game. He wasn't able to get them. At three-all, he finally did. Carlos was terrific. He fended off, I think, altogether 16 out of 19 break points. And and he was very stubborn on those break points. And he's particularly tough, by the way, in the ad court because he can do so many things with his serve. He's got the nice kicker short and wide, which he can sometimes turn into serve and volley. He can disguise it and go down the tee. It's a lot of I think a lot of the break points he's he's very tough to deal with in that ad court. So, but yes, you mentioned it three all. I thought that we all thought that was probably going to be the decisive break, and then Novak holds on nicely in the next game, and it's five three, and he set himself up for it. And as he said later, I almost had the double break, and he did because of the first two match points were on Carlos's serve. The match point at three five was was ridiculous that Carlos well, saved. What, um, David. Before we get to the ridiculous one, let's not forget on the first one, Carlos plays a surprise serve and volley. 
Novak's return is not bad. It's a cross-court back of a return. It could have been a little lower, but it was certainly respectable. Carlos looked like a vintage serving volleyer on that point. He just hits a side, got a little side spin on his backhand volley, sent it down the line. Novak scampers over and tries to make the lob. Doesn't miss it by too much, but he missed it. And that was a really clever point from Carlos on the first one. Then the second one was crazy because he drop shot it. Obviously, Novak was probing, and then Carlos drop shots, and Novak got to it with in time. He got to it fairly easily, but not enough that he could put it away. He was able to hit it cross court off his backhand, fairly deep. He he read he read Carlos's down the line backhand pass and tried to angle off that forehand volley. If he'd been able to get just a little more angle, a little shorter, I think it's over. But even the, what he did was still good enough that you figure he's got the point one. And somehow Carlos, seemingly with time to spare, goes over there and still has not a lot of room down the line. Novak is covering the line, and Carlos makes the down-the-line forehand pass uh, it, uh, to perfection to save that. And, and that's when Novak smiled. He had that kind of wry, sardonic smile, like, and he commented on that point a couple of times after the match in different interviews how he couldn't believe that point. So there's the first two, and then Carlos ends up holding I mean, obviously, that would have been the easiest way to close, just break them again and not have to serve it out. But because no, because Carlos has saved those two match points, now Novak has to think about it at the changeover. You could see he was tense trying to serve it out. And and he, 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 he served a double fault that put him down 1540, you know, long, very well long. And you thought, oh, boy. And then he still manages to get back to the ad as his match point. He hits that double fault. And that, that was the one thing he would have, been really hard on himself for if he'd ever lost the match it was the double fall that was measured at like 65 miles an hour he said later that's the slowest second serve i think i've hit right. my whole career and he and he admitted he said i was tight i like it when guys admit that by the way i frankly felt that was something roger never liked to do fair enough everybody has self-protection ways about them but novak is has a couple of times reasons so i just got tight that's all there is to it and uh you know, it's still, you know, it still was a long four-deuce game. You know, it, yeah, could it was over a 12-minute game, Steve. Yeah, no, and, and he still he also – then he still later fended – he had fended off a break point with a 120-mile-an-hour serve down the tee that's set up a huge forehand that Carlos couldn't get back, and then Novak pointed to his head. So there were moments you thought he was going to salvage that game. But then second – the fourth match point, you know, he's, he, he, he played the point perfectly well. And then Carlos just rips a forehand down the line winner. You didn't really think he had an opening for a winner, but he hit one of those, those uh, in, in immense forehands of his that you don't necessarily see it coming. He just unleashes. And suddenly it's 10, 12 miles an hour faster, maybe 15 miles an hour faster. There was no way for even Novak, who's such a great defender, to make a move to defend it out of his backhand corner, just a clean winner. And then, of course, Novak missed that smash on the bounce he got he had too much time to think about it he'd come in and Carlos it's a deep lob and Novak retreats takes the overhead on the bounce and rather than really crunch it the way he should have you could see he was guiding it and sliced it out wide and that was so really that, the only overhead he missed he, there were some big points yeah, where oh, he no. had to hit some overheads and Novak oh, no. that, that's one of his weakest shots and he came up big no, and no, he, he played a couple of really good overheads in the second set tiebreak too on the three four point he he it, Carlos lobbed the return. Novak hits a pretty good smash, and Carlos lobs deep, yeah. really deep, and Novak puts it away down the line, no less, for a winner. Yeah, no, his overhead had been good, but that those were normal lobs taken out of the air. This one was on the bounce, and was, I think it was the only bounce smash he played in the whole match. And 
then that was so that was a blow. Then we're at five all, and we have another marathon four deuce game, and Novak has four break points, 15, 40, and two more ads. And he missed one forehand that he shouldn't have. And Carlos played all the others beautifully, particularly the last two with that kick serve short and wide in the ad court and coming in behind it. And that was tough for Novak to fend he off. He kicks and, it so short. You you mentioned it yeah. earlier. He kicks it in the box on the ad side so short that it's yeah. really a bad and angle if you're a defender. And it bounds up high and there's, there's not a lot. you got to really anticipate it. Novak did the best he could, but... That was another frustrating game because you think about it, David. You know, here's Novak with two match points with Carlos serving at 3-5. Two more match points on his own serve. And then four break points on Carlos's serve. And yet he didn't win any of those games. And it was 38 points. To lose three games in a row, that, that hard fought with so many chances. Now go sit at the changeover at 5-6 knowing you're serving to stay in the match. That was psychologically, that had to be very tough. And they go around and Novak loses the first point because Carlos hit a back in return, not a chip and jar, just a rate. He just hit the back in return cleanly and came in behind it. it was, you know, it was a rip in charge. And, and his Novak legs, he was starting to get tired. His legs were starting to go. And you saw him starting to come to net more to yeah. just try to end these yeah. points earlier and he did very well coming in he did well because also he had to get down low for that volley Novak's pass was pretty good and and Carlos got down low and made the drop volley. and suddenly it's love 15 Novak having lost three games in a row now three points from defeat and he played the rest of that game like the ultimate professional he went Unbe- he won the next four points I think he won that game at 15 I think he did he won the next four points it started with a perfect second serve down the tee at 96 miles an hour that Carlos couldn't get back in the place perfectly placed and then he kind of followed his next serve in played a drive volley that set up a little drop volley that Carlos couldn't get and then it was you know then a service winner to the backhand and then a forehand winner off the return played those four points masterfully and remarkably considering what he had just endured in the previous three games. And I think that brought him into the tiebreak in a positive frame of mind. Then of course we had the early drama in the tiebreak because that long rally on Carlos double faults wide on the first point, which was surprising. He didn't give himself enough. He should have given himself a little more margin down the tee, but it just missed by a whistle. He whisper. thought he got it. Yeah. It just yeah, missed thought, down the tee. The replay showed it couldn't have been any closer. So then he was a bit unlucky, but it's a double fault. And then we, we have the 29 stroke rally. And on the last shot, Carlos, that's when he went to the two-handed forehand because his hand was cramping. And you thought you you immediately had flashbacks to Paris and Roland Garros because the cramping there at the end of the second set, early in the third mainly, it started in his hand. and But then it became full body cramps. So that was my first thought. Oh, my God, is this going to be a repeat of Paris where he cramps all over? But obviously it did not happen. And actually, if anything, the hand cramp didn't get – too bad. I mean, it, I'm sure it was still on his mind, though. But he was able to, he was able to come back after Novak got to three love in the breaker and make it three all, four all. He came in a couple, tried to come in a few times there too. Novak missed a few backhands, and there we are, three all, four all, and and you still see this thing hanging in the balance. But there, once again, a clutch effort from Novak because he's serving at four all. Uh, I mean, it's four all, and, and Carlos is serving, and Novak. Gets an opening for a forehand inside in and rips it pretty well into the corner. And Carlos tried to defend with the underspin and couldn't get it back. And so it's just like that, it's five four serving. You wonder can he serve it out? He it's a perfect kick serve out wide. It was almost a Carlos type serve, 
because he got it short, not too deep and very wide. And Carlos had to try to make the one-handed back in return, couldn't get it back in play. And then the second serve had a lot of spin on it at 6-4. And Carlos went for the big winner and missed it by a wide margin. There it was, seven points to four for Djokovic. But it was just, it, it's mind-boggling when you think back over those series of games from the time that Djokovic got to 5-3 until the end of the match. That was just, it was spellbinding. A couple, a couple of things I want. I, I was, I was thinking about, and and for the the listeners, we were planning on recording after this match, and Steve and I talked shortly after and be like, you know what, we need to digest what we just witnessed a little bit. We wanted to take some time, which we did, and that's why we're recording now Monday night. Um, a couple of things, you know, how do you think this would play out if this was an hour earlier, Steve? Let's say the start of the match was an hour earlier. Then the shadows don't come. They don't come at 4-2 in the second set, maybe, right? You don't know. That's something that Novak's probably thankful for, that it started at the yeah, time I, it actually did start. I think so, but thank, thankfully for all of us, not just for the two players, but what, for what the match became, yep. for what it turned into, we wouldn't have had that treat because the third set was, uh, it was close to an hour and a half. I mean, and it was just gripping. And Three it was hours and 49 minutes, Steve. How, yeah. how do you... How do you do this um, if this is a slam final, three out of five? I mean, look, these two guys are – it's war. You heard what Novak said. Um, they were both so um, complimentary of each other, both Novak and Carlos. You know, he said this reminded him – when he plays Carlos, it reminds him a bit of Rafa when they were both in their yeah. prime where yeah. you're not getting any free yeah, points. You he said maybe it. five free points the entire match. Yeah, you just said it. That it, let's not Let's not sweep by what you just said. When we were in our primes, he said, fascinating considering how great he still is and how close he is to regaining the number one ranking that he would say that when Rafa and I were in our primes and he put it in that context, I would, that was a really interesting remark. But I, I, so I three don't out know. of five, Steve, how do they, how do they do this? Well, think about it. It takes those kind of sets, five, seven, seven, six, seven, six, Wimbledon. You had a 6-1 first set for Djokovic. Then you did have a tiebreak, which turned the match because Djokovic uh, you know, had his chance to close it out there and, 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 and wasn't able to do it on set point. And, and uh, you know, he missed that backhand, which was shocking, and, and it all turned, and he had a chance to win it and didn't. Then the third set was 6-3. There was one marathon game, 27 minutes. When Djokovic lost that at 3-1 to go down 4-1, he pretty much gave the set up. Then the fourth set was 6-3. Djokovic had the early break. He broke again late. That was not terribly taxing. And the fifth was 6-4. So you didn't have sets of this length or rallies of this length. So, so let me compare Let me compare it because it was both done on hard courts is the 2012 Australian Open final with Novak yeah. and Rafa, which was yeah. six hours and 12 minutes or something. Uh, five fifty. You're oh, you're only exaggerating slightly. It was five, five hours and fifty three minutes or something. Yeah, five fifty three. So <laughs> very close to six. Yeah, I mean, again, fortunately, there considering how long it was, five seven six four six two six seven, and then the long fifth set. So I mean, there were a couple of sets there that weren't too long either, and then there were three that were quite long. Three of the five, so you need that, or else these guys are just going to collapse. I mean, you just physically, these guys are pounding the ball, and to win a point, like you, it's so hard to win a point against. Well, Carlos, Carlos backed you up on that. That was an interesting part of his press conference. Novak gets so many balls back; he's getting six or seven balls back every point. 
it's hard to deal with that, uh, which was an interesting remark coming from a 20 year old kid. But you could see that, you know, that's partly what brought on the partly what brings on the cramps, I think, is the is the exertion. I mean, the, the second set in Roland Garros was a very, very hard fought set, uh, you know, much longer than the first. It was and it was a killer for both. But at least that was clay and the heat doesn't reflect off the clay the same way. But here. No, he was, and you could see that he was feeling it at times too, not just the cramps, that he was just feeling, he's talking about Novak running him from corner to corner. And that, that is just not easy when somebody is, can orchestrate rallies the way that Djokovic can. And these both guys, the fighting spirit and both, I mean, you, you heard the on-court interview during the presentation with Novak and he looked at Carlos and he goes, boy, you never give up. And, you know, it was a fun yeah. little uh, dialogue between both of them there. No, it was was it was it was a lot of fun and very respectful and 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 i mean look djokovic is the one who alluded to it the very first match they played three hours 36 minutes in madrid last year tiebreaker in the third to carlos in the semis then they come back to paris this year that one would have been much longer if carlos doesn't cramp because they one set all before he cramped and then novak rolls through the last two then the five setter at wimbledon and now this so it can't be any accident that every time they go out on the court against each other they seem to push each other to the help. And, and I don't know, like, does your mindset change a little? They haven't played, they haven't played five sets. They they only played five sets at Wimbledon. They haven't played five sets on a hard court yet. You know, does your mindset change? I don't think it does with these two guys. These guys are absolute warriors, absolute fight for every single ball. I don't think their mindset changes. If it's three out of five on a hard court, be like, you got to conserve a little bit of energy early on. I don't think they're wired like that, Steve. No, they're not. But you, you, if you have something, a situation like Novak encountered in the middle of the third set of the Wimbledon final where he was already down a break and he's fighting like crazy to win that fifth game in the last 27 minutes, and he's got so many chances to close it out and he doesn't, once he got down 4-1, then he pretty much said, okay, this set is over. You know, I, I'm not wasting more energy on this set trying to come back from two breaks down. So that can happen, but only that. Otherwise, it's hard, and it's something that's going to be on would be on their minds if they had to say if they were played the U.S. Open final with something like seven five five seven seven six. Either way, you know, I mean that that already they probably would be past the three and a half hour mark, knowing there could be two more sets. Yeah, I mean it was three hours and forty nine minutes last yeah. night, and they only played three sets. I, so, I mean, let's. Let's hope. I mean, I, we all I, we all want to see it. Look, still a lot of things have to happen for it to 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 be in place. But you know, the final Sunday in New York, having those two guys, three out of five sets, they don't have to worry about resting for the next match because that'll be it for them. Uh, well, it you would be unbelievable. It would be unbelievable. You hope that the temperature's not anything over eighty that day, too. It's just it's just healthier and better for the players and. Much it's more the humidity that's the killer. I mean, you could do yeah. 85 if it's low humidity, but when it's when it was humid as, as as what it was like yesterday, it's just an energy zapper. It's a killer. But shout but out to both those guys. Incredible, incredible match. I, I mean, I, again, I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, best of three set match. It's the best one that I can remember off the top of my head. Well, Listen, it, 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 mine too, and I've been racking my brain for the last day on it. You know, there's a couple that come to mind that I think were pretty extraordinary, oddly. You'll like one of my choices, and that was back in 2002 in San Jose. Leighton Hewitt and Andre Agassi. There's a 4 6 7, six, seven six for Hewitt. He fended off 19 out of 21 breakpoints. The standard was incredibly high for three sets. 
unbelievable rallies and two real champions going at it toe to toe. That was a great one. And I think of a couple of Borg McEnroe matches in 79 and 80 at the Masters that went to the final set tiebreak. And then I think of one more, and that's Nadal playing Djokovic in Spain back in 2009 in the semis in a match that went four hours and three minutes. And Rafa saved three match points and won it in the third set tiebreak over Novak, who left the court in tears. And uh, that one was really remarkable, too. But I don't think, considering what these guys produced in the third set, I I just can't rate any of them quite up on this level. I just Yeah, I want to emphasize what you said, because, I mean, the first set and a half and Novak was struggling. It wasn't like these guys were both peak shape for that first set and a half. It was, you know, Novak got up early. Carlos came back, wins the first set, is up 4-2 in the second. I think since once it started 4-2 in the second and on, it was at a level that I cannot remember as good as I've seen it in the best of three. No, it was. And and the thing was that Djokovic, Novak's level had dropped from 4-2 in the first to for him to 4-2 down in the second set. His level had dropped considerably. Yes. And, and that, Carlos was playing very good tennis, but then everything changed by the middle of that second set. To me, David, I had this philosophy too when I wrote my book on the greatest matches of all time, is that the, the best matches, you want the best tennis to be toward the end, not the beginning. Of course, because that's when the drama, the most drama is. Yeah. So in other words, you take, say, Borg McEnroe. The first set was was 6-1 for John in 1980 at Wimbledon. And then the next two are five and three. And then the drama all starts late in the fourth when he saves a couple of match points, gets into the tiebreak, saves five more, wins an 18-16 tiebreak, and they go 8-6 in the fifth. So that one just got the the it, it level started soaring and, and got better and better in, in the latter stages. Same thing with Roger and Rafa in the 08 Wimbledon themselves in the final because Rafa won two fairly comfortable 6-4 sets. He did come back from 4-1 down in the second, but he was rolling to the first two. Roger wins a tiebreak in the third. Roger saves two match points to win a tiebreak in the fourth, and then we had 9-7 in the fifth. So again, it just got better. Those last three sets were phenomenal. So I, I think ideally that's the way it should play out is that you can have some one-sided sets earlier on. Labor Rosewall in Dallas in 72 was a beauty that went 7-6 in the fifth. You know, and Rosewall said to me a, a later, well, there was a six-love I want a six-love set. That doesn't happen to Rodbury. That's true, but it was early. It was the second set. So by the fourth and fifth, there are a couple of tie breaks and, and the, the match is moving to another level. So that's what happened here. It did, you know, from late in the second, right through the third, it was just spectacular. I, I was honored to be a tennis fan. I was honored to be associated with the sport yesterday, uh, watching those two guys go at it. It was absolutely uh, incredible. And, hey, let's see if we can make this happen on the final Sunday in uh, the U.S. Open coming up. Well, also, it's great for the, it was great for the public, a great appetite increaser. Because I mean, and John and, Wertheim, you're, John Wertheim said that on Twitter. He said, since he, yeah. uh, the U.S. Open owes since he big time and that this was an unbelievable preview for New York. It is. And now everybody will be rooting for this final. I was rooting for it here and we'll, we'll, we'll hope it, it, it can be reprised in New York. And and it, I think anybody who watched Cincinnati, any tennis fan who watched it there has got to be hoping that it happens again in New York. And it's, again, the same people who saw them duking it out in the Wimbledon final. This is the, the best thing that tennis could have right now, a 16-year age gap, a Serbian and a Spaniard, but a different Spaniard than the Serbian's been playing all these years. And it just, it's so timely given the, 
given the fact that Roger's gone and Rafa may not, may, we may not see much of him again in the future. Yeah. Oh, man. Well said. It was so fun. So fun watching that last night. Okay. Let's go back to Coco Goff because we, we said, I mean, her look, Steve, she loses first round at Wimbledon to Sophia Cannon and we're scratching our heads and we're like, you know, the results were, the results were even inconsistent up to that point, Steve, let's be honest. Right. It was up yeah. and down up to that yeah. point. She loses first round in Wimbledon and we're like, Oh boy. And we all talking about the forehand and it's confident. Her confidence is way down. And where's this going to go? And she makes some changes on her team, right? She makes two changes in coaching. Her parents are not always in the stands anymore. That's another thing that was noticed. And Brad Gilbert, who has had success with a number of players now, He's added to the team. What does Coco do since Wimbledon? She wins. If I'm reading my notes, I got a bazillion notes here, but if I'm reading my notes right, she wins 11 of her 12 matches played, Steve, since Wimbledon. That one match, a tough, close three-set quarter in Montreal. Again, to recap, she wins DC. She quarters Montreal, losing a tight one to Jesse Pagula, and she wins Cincy. Um the semifinal, what you said earlier on in our conversation, Steve, that was the one. And I said to you, we talked about it before the match. I said, she doesn't necessarily have to win this match, but she has to win a set because she was 0-7 seven, seven against her, hadn't won a set, 0-14 against Iga. And I said to her, even if she doesn't win, she's got to at least win a set. What happened? Well, fortunately, it was the first set, and probably she shouldn't have won it. It was very gritty, very gutty on her part because she's down 4-2, down 5-3, down a couple of set points before the tiebreak and then raced off to a four-love lead in the tiebreak and won that comfortably. And that was critical because even though Iga served and backed up her serve almost impeccably in the second set, which was really uh, almost one-sided even though it was 6-3 because she was holding so easily, still, you know, Coco had a foothold in that match and she really lifted her game in the third set and got up that break and kept protecting it. And the last game of the match was harrowing with break points and game points and finally closing it out because Ego was making a big push at the end to extend this match and to impose her will. And it didn't quite work. And the great thing is that Coco, you don't see her throwing in those double faults anymore. You see her able to sort of, uh, She's she measures her forehand so much better. So she's, you know, if she, I was going to ask you that. How do you feel? Because because we, we both said in a previous episode, like Ega's the test, right? The forehand's been looking good, but Ega's the test. And what do you think when she's when she's maybe more defensive? She's doing it more heavy, a little bit higher margin for error. Yeah. And when she yeah. gets in a neutral and more offensive position, she's ripping it. How do you feel the forehand held up in that match? Yeah, no, I think it's because of the loop. I think the loop is. That, I remember that that's kind of what she was doing in, in the on her run to the final of the French Open a year ago. It was like I was impressed. Oh, wait a minute. She's much sturdier right now. She's getting a lot more balls back. And it was the loop. It's safer. You get it back deep. She gets it above the shoulders of the other player. They come back to her back end. Maybe she rips the back end. She's able to sort of get herself in a position to take control of rallies, that, which would not have been possible before. And then she only rips it when she's pretty sure she can hit the winner or she's very confident that, that she's set up. Otherwise, I'm keeping this ball in play. I'm going to get plenty of topspin on it. I'm going to keep it deep, and I'm going to keep them off balance. And I, I, I thought that's what she did really well. She may have missed a few more in the Bagula loss. Bagula picked her apart a little bit in Canada. 
but uh, Jess also played just a great match that day. And Coco overall, I mean, then the great thing was that after she after she beats Ziga, no letdown and beats Mahova very comfortably in the final. So, yeah, I wanted the, the end of that match again. It's always hard closing it out, especially when you just beat someone like Ega in the semis. You're going for the title now. Her forehand to me near the end of that match, she got broken once serving for it, and then she, right, she wound right. up holding the second time. But on one of those match points, she sli- she did a chop forehand twice and points where usually you see that squash shot when you're real stretched out. She was not stretched out, no. stretched out on those. And I'm like, is she a little tight on this right now? She was tight and she just lost her clarity there just briefly, but then got it back and closed it out. The two break cushion really really helped her. I was surprised that with the two breaks, but it's funny. Sometimes players do that. I've even seen Djokovic do that a few times it, it, back in uh, 2015, which was one of his best years where he'd be up in, it, you know, he did it against Roger in the U S open final where he's two breaks up in the fourth set. And then he gave one of them up and then on a hold for 15 from 1540, the second time to close it out six, four in the fourth and happened to him against Andy Murray the next year in the French final too, where he gave up one of the breaks and it got tense and, it's funny, you figure the second break is going to relax the player, but it doesn't always work that way. No. Coco couldn't get her mind, I think, off the fact that she was going to about to win the biggest title of her career, you know, a 1,000, which is a big deal, that's going to carry her into the U.S. Open on a wave. I have to say, David, we talked about it after D.C. This is no accident. I'm not saying that Gilbert has given her a 1,000 new ideas and that she's taken every one of them. But he's had an effect, it's clear to me, by her demeanor on the court, by the way she's playing, by the way she greets him after clarity, the match. Clarity, right, Steve? Clarity? Yeah, complete clarity. And also just a little more swagger out there, too. I think he's remind. you know, he just has a, he's always understood the psychology of this when he worked with the likes of Murray and Roddick and Agassi. And now I, I kept hoping, when is he going to get another player? I just hope he's not going to, his time is not going to run out here. And sure enough, it did not. And this is ideal for him. And uh, I I honestly think it's going to be a long association here and he's going to continue to have a profound uh, effect on her. Let me, let me ask you this, Steve. And we, we, uh, I kind of texted it to you and we really, we wanted to save it for a conversation, this for, for our podcast, but um, going into New York, I mean, is she, is, is Coco for you? a top, forget the ranking. I'm just asking you a current form. Again, a lot depends on the draw, but just looking at the whole body of work, looking at her competitors as well. Is she a top five favorite for you? I mean, or, right. I mean, I'm thinking to just top five, but think of the names, right? You got Iga, you got Rabakina, you got Sabalenka, you got someone like Anjabor. I mean, I mean, there's, no, more. there's a lot of depth in the women's game. I'll tell you right where now. I would put her. Jesse Pagula. Where about Jessica Pagula? Yeah, no, I, I would put her three. I honestly would put her three really? in my That's a yeah. little bit too high for me, but that's interesting. Uh, I'm putting her three because on, on form, and I, Sabalenka's shaky. She lost to Mohova again. Uh, you know, I thought she'd avenge that loss. So did Chanda Rubin, who was making the predictions on Tennis Channel. I thought, yes, she's not going to let that happen again. And she won the first set, went down in three kind of tamely. I don't like the way she's been playing. Even Iga, who has to still be the favorite is coming off losses now to both Pagula and Coco. No disgrace, but she didn't she didn't get as much out of the summer as she wanted. And and Rabakina has been kind of injury-ridden here lately, and she has not been able to produce her best. Anj Jabor had a little injury again in the course of losing to Sabalenka. Yeah. They all have issues right now. So I say Iga has to be the favorite. 
Maybe we're backing up possibly next, but I, I'm, I'm saying somewhere in that top three. Iga clearly won, but I'm putting Coco in the top three because and I think she's going to ride that. If she gets on a run, Steve, she's going to ride that wave, the emotion of that New York crowd. I mean, it is going to be unbelievable as she starts to make her run through this tournament. Then I think the crowd is going to propel Pagula too, if she can get on her roll. And yes, she lost early. She didn't do well in Cincinnati, but so be it. She'd come off a big win herself the week before. She can be excused for that. Her consistency need, need, need not be questioned. Correct. So uh, I, I think she's going to be ready in New York. She's going to get, she's a crowd pleaser in a, in a very different kind of way. You know, and obviously Coco has the charisma and there's more flash there and there's reasons, but, but Jeff, Jess is just such a total professional and, and so commendable out there. They're going to, they're going to, and they know what she's done. The fans are aware that she's been the one that's consistently been right. She's been the one player ranked three and four in the world. Coco is making her move now to get up to join her up there in that top five. I think she's going to come in as the number six seed, but uh, I think they're both going to get, propelled by the crowds in New York. And I still have this dream that somehow they end up on the opposite ends of a draw and just might make it to the final against each other. Or at the very least, if they're on the same half, that we can we could get a semi. Yeah, that would be something. And the New York crowd would be all over that. They would love every second of that. On the men's side, we're talking about Jesse and, and Coco on the women's side. On the men's side, Tommy Paul, we asked I asked you the question last episode rate your top three men of, of uh, you know, Tommy Taylor and Francis, and, and you went into it in your analysis. You did a great job with it. Um, to summarize, it was at the time, Tommy Taylor, Francis, the week in Cincinnati, I don't think changes your mind one bit. It's the, the same type of thing. Tommy Paul plays Carlos again. He beats him last. He beats him well, whenever we're recording two weeks ago, <laughs> he loses a, a, a tight three setter to him. And since he crazy windy conditions, but, Again, if I'm Tommy Paul, I'm like, not only can I play with the number one player in the world right now, I can beat the number one player in the world, which he's done. His confidence is going to be high. Hopefully the draw is suits him well going forward in New York. Well, Tommy probably should have won the first set from Carlos. He was up 5-2, and then he had 5-3 in the tie break, and Carlos was very gritty and came back and won it, and then it looked like Carlos had him, and Tommy fends off all Tommy was three times, two or three times up a break in the second set. And then how to save himself from match points down on his serve. And he did it. And then he wins a tiebreaker yeah. after saving three match points, seven zip in the breaker. And then, unfortunately for him, he played a loose game at the start of the third. And then there was the delay, a couple more delays because of rain. But still, it was a very good follow-up effort despite the loss. He's going to feel good about himself. Taylor, I don't know. I mean, look, Francis and Taylor... Taylor started the summer beautifully in Atlanta, hasn't been as good since, got to a semi in his next tournament in D.C., hasn't played that well since, and Novak really, Yeah, really was that, did, did that worry you, Steve, that the way, not that he lost to Novak, but I mean, the first set was 21 minutes, six No, goals. that's that's what I mean. Yes, it worries me in the sense that he went in, I, I think, somewhat hopeful. Uh, he knew he was what he was up against, but to lose in 21 minutes and I don't, maybe eight points in the whole set and then... He did go up a break at the start of the second. Novak kind of gave it to him in a way. And, and he went up 4-2, but then Novak really turned it around with four straight games. So he didn't really even salvage much from that set, Taylor. Let's say he extended it to a breaker. Could have felt pretty good about that. But no, it was 11-4, and, and it's a thumping, as they say in the trade. And I, I think uh, 
It's a tough way for him to go in the open. He can put it aside. I think he's very good at leaving his disappointments in the past. Very good at that. So I don't worry about that. But I just hope finally in a major, we see something bigger from him. Francis got cleaned up by Stan Wawrinka, an inspired performance. But oh, Francis, Stan was unbelievable that night. He was. He was. But but Francis was not. You know, I, it, it's been kind of a flat summer for him. You never know. He can get he can get re uh, he can he can get reawakened in New York again after what happened last year and getting to the semis and taking uh, taking uh, Alcaraz to five hard sets. So there's that memory, but it's also a lot to live up to. He also had a great open the year before, so it's like, okay, can he do this again? Maybe I hope so. Hope he, you know he's always one that can get very inspired by the crowds. But so I would leave. I just I would leave the list the same because I think Tommy come off two you know two really good performances against uh, Carlos one he wins and one he loses narrowly so but he's playing really well I like the way he's playing so that would be my one two three still is Tommy Paul Fritz Tiafo it's so hard there's so much depth in the game right now it's so hard and the draw no matter who you get you know it's just going to be a dogfight pretty much every match and you just you, you just got to win those big points because the margins both and on, on the WTA and the ATP the margins Steve right now are, are so slim I'll say this if you're in the oh, David, let me area just, let me oh, just interject ahead, quickly interject quickly because you and I have had this discussion and privately and we've talked about it and Taylor playing so much tennis and interestingly enough that came up the night he played Novak and Courier was discussing it, I believe, with Jason Goodall, but it just doesn't matter. The subject came up, and and one of them said, "Well, Paul Anacone agrees. He's playing too. He plays too many tournaments, and you know, I think he's played twenty one now for the year. They, it, you know, that's got that also has to change too, so so that he he can. I don't think he realizes what he's doing to himself by playing that much. It's it's debilitating more than he knows." And so I, I hope that would, maybe that's the formula he's going to need for next year. But at least he's got this week to just practice before he starts in in New York and probably Monday or Tuesday, you know, of the following week. But it was interesting because I know you've been concerned about that. And I said to you, I thought that Anacone didn't like it. And it was confirmed for me on the air by the announcers that he doesn't. And I hope they can get through to him because he's, he's a very appealing player. I love the backhand, you know, the two-hander, he, he actually was interesting. He had Novak doing a lot of hitting a lot of backhand slices. Novak didn't want to necessarily slug with him, so he Novak was cagey and went to the slice, and it worked. But Taylor, that was out of respect for Taylor's two-hander, how well he hits it. The forehand was a little shaky that night, and the serve he was, if anything, over-serving, just trying to go for too many one thirty twos and one thirty fives, and he would have been better off to slow it down a little bit. But I. I hope that I, I really want to see him turn it around in New York. I mean, because I think he he can be a real crowd pleaser when he's on. His game is is so appealing. Let's hope. Let's hope so. Let's hope he does. He's had a few disappointing uh, U.S. Opens recently. So, what I was going to say for those living in the New York area, um, the qualifying starts tomorrow. Again, we're recording this Monday night. There's going to be three rounds of qualifying. If you really want to see. Um, guys scratch and claw. I, I believe it's free, Steve, if you go out there to see the qualifying. I believe it's free. Um, if you want to see some real pressure, and again, pressure is all relative to what your um what, what your current environment is in. But the last round, the final round of qualifying, basically, Steve, that's an eighty thousand dollar payday because if you can get through 
that final round of qualifying. And even if you lose in the first round of the U.S. Open, the first round losers get 80,000, which is really, yeah. really good. So those guys that can make a, that can make most of a guy's year at, at that level, depending on the person's ranking. So if you can't make it out the first couple rounds of qualifying and you want to see some crazy good tennis, try to make it out there for the final round qualifying. Uh, Steve, yesterday was amazing. Um, I'm so glad we did this. Um, we've been going longer than we usually did. We knew that going in just because of everything with, with Carlos and, and Novak and Coco. Um, we want to hit on anything else before we wrap it up. Anything we miss, anything you want to hit on before we, before we uh, close this up? No, I think I no, I think we covered all the ground. It was very, very enjoyable to reflect on that match yesterday and, and, and all, and, and on Coco's great triumph. So no, I think we've, we've covered the ground. I would say quite well. This was fun. Let's see if we can get a repeat of this Sunday, maybe in two Sundays from now. That's all hope for something like that. Cause that no, was I think it's a pretty good chance. It's a pretty good chance. Cause they've been showing, they've been, it was clear by last year. I mean, I saw this taking shape last year. It's just, they weren't mm-hmm. together at the same time. Correct. Carlos ready on the grass yet last year. And he lost to center at Wimbledon. And then Djokovic beat center and went on to win the title. Djokovic wasn't at the open. You mentioned center. You mentioned center. Oh yeah. He's the one guy, Steve, that can maybe get in the way of this Alcaraz Novak. Well, particularly he's he's had his issues with uh, granted he was two sets up on Novak a year ago. This time at Wimbledon it was straight sets for Novak, but he's consistently played Carlos tough. And he had match point against Carlos last year at the Open. So if they played again, that would be that would be fascinating. I think that he's the one outside of Novak that Carlos fears the most. And so, remember, you guys got a day in between. So even if there's a tough semi, it used to be, I mean, they couldn't do it right now. The sport's way too brutal. But it used to be they had the Super Saturday, right? Men's semi, women's final, the second men's semi, then the men's final on Sunday was ridiculous. Thankfully, they moved that away. The men's semis are both now on Friday. So you do have yeah, that day. Yeah, just a quick final word, by the way, that we didn't mention Zarev. He had a nice week. He finally ended his losing streak. He had all those losses to Medvedev earlier in the season, you know, three of them. And he came back and beat him in a tough three-setter, lost a well-played match to Novak, you know, fending off some three-set points on his serve at 4-5, going to a tie break, extending him to 7-5 in the second set. I feel like he's, he's very close to the old Sasha. So I, I do think he's going to be kind of dangerous in New York as well. Not to necessarily to the point where he'd beat Djokovic or Alcaraz, but where he could probably beat just about anybody else. Well, I mean, uh, this, this is this is going to be something. And and there's so many players that can make a deep run, both on the men's side and the women's side. The next time we do this, Steve, we'll have the draw in hand. So we'll probably we'll probably do this on Sunday, some point on Sunday, and we'll look at uh some certain players pass and who they're going to have to beat. And again, we normally don't like to uh, look too far ahead because you just can't. You, we, we both will wind up looking silly most likely because when you do that, there's so much depth in the game. There's going to be some upsets, but we'll at least have the draws in hand and we'll look at some early round matchups and uh, we'll, we'll go over it all. Hopefully it's a great, great, great two weeks in New York. Yeah, I hope so too, David. Looking forward to it and looking forward to the preview.